uh, do us a favor, pal. Name's Liddy. Gordon Liddy. Gord, uh, take a look at the seventh Fetzer valve, will you? I think it's been sticking. It's probably the humidity. <laughs> That's funny. No, what I think it is myself is the uh, bypass line. It could be the bypass line, yeah. Maybe I should take a look at it. Uh, Gordo. Back here? Don't tell me my business, boy. Just checking the luggage. Somebody ought to clean these windows. There is a tremendous buildup of gook all over them. Look at that. You use a lot of fuel to go to Utah? That's what I always ask you. Burns enough to go to South America and back. South America and back. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. But I always kid him about it. I say, what are you doing up there? Are you doing some stunt flying or something? <laughs> <laughs> What's he say? He don't say nothing. He just gives him that look. You know, he's got that look. Yeah, he don't say nothing. He just gives him that look. Well, sure, he's the boss. Here, let me take a crack at this Fetzer here. I'm Gord. Yeah, I know where it is. I'm just getting a bird's eye view here. And, uh, oh, 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 oh. What do you think? It's the bypass line, right? I think it's the bypass line, yeah. Tell I'm going to need some pliers and a uh, set of 30-weight ball bearings. What? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, tell you what, uh, i got to go to my truck. If Fred gets here before I'm back, you can tell him to start without me. What the hell you need ball bearings for? Oh, come on, guys. It's so simple. Maybe you need a refresher course. Hey! It's all ball bearings nowadays. Now, you prepare that Fetzer valve with some 3-in-1 uh, oil and some gauze pads. And I'm going to need about 10 quarts of antifreeze, preferably Prestone. No. Don't make that Quaker state. Wash those windows. They've got filth muck on them. Everybody and welcome to the Nightfly Show with me, Dave Juskow. The middle of February somewhere. I don't know. I lose track of dates. But the 11th of February, isn't it? Lovely Tuesday. I guess it's the beginning of February. Post Super Bowl, post Oscars. Taping the day before, just so uh, you know, we can talk about the Oscars and what happened and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, after our Oscars podcast. Did I win? Not really. There were no upsets. I mean, just, let's, you know, get it going. That's the story. But anyway, how are you doing today? And I hope everybody's having a great day and a great February, a Black History Month. And uh, here we are, alone again. Naturally, we haven't been alone for quite a while. So here we are before we get to next week's show, which uh, was with the great uh, New York Post theater critic, Michael Riedel. And he was a terrific guest. I recorded it last week, and I will tell you more about that 
right now. All right, let's get out of business. Here we are, and I, well, I'm doing the voice, and I'll tell you, I could just start with it, and wait, I talk about it next week, actually, a little bit, because, uh, you know, I taped it uh, in advance at the Comedy Cellar. I will uh, explain all of that in uh, seconds, but I will tell you this, that uh, sometimes when I do the voice like this, and I say this, I'm actually doing this guy, and again, we talk about it next week um, on the podcast a little bit, and I'm doing this guy named Harry Harrison that I remember as a kid growing up here in New York City. He used to be on WABC 77, WABC, and that is the way that um, we thought people were supposed to talk on the radio until Howard Stern changed all of that. That is the way everybody talked on the radio, and I, mean, I still do it today. You know, even on the beginning of the podcast, all the time, it's chilly, 65 degrees, and it's chilly outside. No, 65 degrees, snowy outside, there's going to be a couple of flurries outside. I mean, that's the way I was being like, I want to be like that guy. I want to talk on the radio like that guy. I mean, this is the way the guy used to talk. This is the way, when I was growing up in 1976, this was who was the most popular guy in the radio. Who even knows what this guy's talking about? I mean, it's all over the place. It's just like that. It's just like that. It's just like that. Here's my favorite thing. After this comes a Rickles commercial. I don't think you had that anywhere else but here in the city. Same thing all the time, just the weather. I mean, Howard Stern talks about this all the time. This is all guys used to do all the time. It's all he does is weather and time. It's got to make you appreciate Howard Stern more if you don't like him. Change the rules. Thank God. But this is all we had to listen to when I was growing up. And he would do ads. Rickles helps you do it better. Do it better with Rickles. Rickles. I'm doing it more like Paul Lynn, but. I mean, this is this was the guy. And, it, you know, the, the, the WABC, I mean, that's all we had to listen to. Um, you know, we. Uh, I remember being at my friend Rich's house, like, sleeping over. We were, like, three in the morning. We'd be playing chess or something. And, and, and all we could listen to was the radio. And then they'd have news. And it would be terrifying at like three in the morning. That's all we were able to listen to. It's like not, nowadays, it must be so much fun to sleep over. You could play video games. You could do all this stuff. We're playing chess and listening to 7-7 WABC. I mean, yes, once in a while we could listen to records. But then, you know, if you just want long term and you don't want to have to go back and change the records, 
You would just listen to WABC, and that's all you'd get is weather, time, and then the news. It was horrible. It was a horrible time to be alive. Things are so much better now. Don't you think? Harry Harrison, WABC, 77 WABC. And that is why I open the show all the time with that voice. I can't help myself. It's a problem. It's all I've wanted to do my whole life (laughs) is be that guy and do that voice. And, uh, you know, it's been... uh, (laughs) Some people get it. Some people don't. But it's funny when uh, I always have guests on and I start doing the voice. They're like, wait, what the hell kind of show is this? I can't help myself. That music comes like, oh, it's the night fly with Dave Johnson. It's going to be a chilly morning today. It's going to be unbelievable. We got the Big City Rollers, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. It's going to be night. That's Saturday, if you don't know how to spell quite I mean, that guy was amazing because he was able to say stuff. And I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't rehearsed, rehearsed. He was just good at his job. I always fluster. I can't figure it all out at the same time. But uh, he just died. So that's why I brought it up and I bring it up next week. Now, so next week I got this guy and we, we recorded it already and we'll play it next week. Michael Riedel from the New York Post. He's the theater critic. And we talked, I think we talked for two and a half hours. I did him at the Comedy Cellar. I had a great day that day. I got to the Comedy Cellar at 11 a.m. in the morning. It was about two weeks ago. I got there at 11 a.m. in the morning to set up because he does, this guy Michael Riedel does a morning show with Len Berman, the sportscaster. This is all local. Here, ironically, on, oh, no, it's W-O-R, not W-A-B-C. Um, every morning from 6 to 10. So his day, you know, for him coming in at noon, he, it would be like a normal person coming in around 7, 8 o'clock. He's like, well, the earlier you can do it, the better, because, you know, my day's over. So that's why he was drinking wine, because that's the end of his day. You know, his day. So, it, you know, normally he probably wouldn't drink my wine at uh, noon, but, you know, his timeline is different. So I got there at 11 to set up all my uh, stuff at the Olive Tree, not the Olive Garden, which is above the Comedy Cellar, and that's where I do the podcast, and they give me a, a little space there that I can work at forever. And uh, I got there at 11. He got there exactly at 12. We talked for two and a half hours. We really hit it off. It's a great interview. And I'll tell you, for people that like this particular podcast, it's terrific because even I was just like, what are you kidding? He talked about a Columbo episode for about a half hour. The plot line, but this one Columbo episode, I think he was drunk by that time. And uh, it's really funny when you think about it. I'm like, it was really, I'm like, geez, you know, this guy gets the show. Because that's what I like to do. I like to talk about the plot lines of ridiculous shows from the 70s and 80s. But it was just so funny. You know, hopefully he was um, talking into the mic enough because he was relaxing. I gave him the mic with the headphones and the thing. But people seem to like to talk into the microphone better. So uh, I don't know. We just talked for two and a half hours. We talked about theater. You know, I, I was actually a big fan of his book. And I read it. And it's about how theater started on Broadway. Like how they how they were purchased. How they were how the Schubert organization bought all these theaters, which is now, you know, considered Broadway. It's quite fascinating to somebody like me, not to everybody, but I thought it was great. And then, um, you know, we were just talking about shows and I asked him a couple questions. You know, I always think I'm like, oh, I didn't do a very good job. I stuttered a couple times, but mostly it's, uh, I think it's interesting. Hopefully you will too. That's coming up next week on our show, next Tuesday, a week from Today, Michael Riedel from the New York Post. Anyway, that uh, I did that interview. Then um, I had a little break. And then Richard Klein came in from Three's Company three hours later. 
uh, and we had a really great time talking and having a good, I mean, he is just such a great guy, which you will now see. This We're talking about Larry from Three's Company. He was my guest, my lovely guest, really lovely guest. He's such a terrific guy. He's so much fun. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously second guessing. I'm like, I, I didn't ask enough Three's Company questions. And, you know, I even said, I said, listen, I know we're friends. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't normally ask you about Three's Company, but today's the day I'm going to ask. But I didn't really have that many questions, but we had a couple and he had a couple of stories, which is great. And he was just great and fun to talk to and easy. And then we had dinner after and Colin Quinn joined us and uh, the three of us had dinner with Natterman too at the Olive Tree. And then he had to go uh, teach his acting class. Then I had a three hour window to kill before David, before we were celebrating David Tell's birthday. It was me, Russ Maneve, our friend Bob Golden, uh, Nick Griffin, the comedian, and uh, outside Steve, Steve Fabricant from uh, uh, the Comedy Cellar. And we made it at this place. Dave and I were looking around for restaurants. Like, he, he likes to do everything late at night. It's horrible. So we didn't start till, was it 9 or 10? Shit. I feel like it was 10. I think we met there at, yeah, we met at the place at 10. That's a horrible time to start dinner. So we were looking for places that were open late. The day before, we went around, and then we found that the Mineta Tavern right next to the Comedy Cellar was a good place because that way Steve could join us because he had to work, but he could come over and join us for 90 minutes. So I had three hours to kill, so I got hammered. I mean, I discovered this new drink on Friday. It's not a new drink, but I figured out a way that not to get my stomach hurt because it's just vodka soda. But I started adding bitters to it because that's what I usually put in ginger ale now. I add a little bit of bitters. It's good for your stomach. It tastes delicious. It looks good, delicious. You know, it makes it a nice color. And so then I started drinking vodka sodas, and I'll tell you, you know, where that started from the Friday before in a second. But just to continue this story, I was drinking them, and I had three of them, and they go down so much easier, no stomach issues, because the bitters seem to help that for some God knows reason. And I was hammered by the time we went to dinner and I go let's go we went across the street I was already drunk I think I get drunk before it tells party all the time because he's just so crazy and I have to relax I think he stresses me because you know it's we sit down he's like we're, we're ready to order we sat down he goes yeah we're ready we'll have the uh, you know nobody's ready everybody wants to kind of sit back we don't know why he puts these parties together these dinner parties because he doesn't like to sit down and and have a meal he just likes to keep getting up and having a cigarette and coming back. So I don't know why he wants to put these together. I don't know whether it's for him or for the rest of us at this point. But the rest of us are also stressed. You know, it's, it's hard to enjoy yourself sometimes. It's always still funny and everything. But I was already plowed. And we came in and we met this girl from Saturday Night Live who Bob was with at the Mineta Tavern. Really pretty girl. She takes all the pictures that you see on Saturday Night Live. All those really great pictures of people and really cool costumes and stuff that they show, you know, the little portraits before they say, you know, uh, and now please welcome Justin Bieber, you know, something like that. So she takes these pictures, really pretty. And but I saw Bob was sitting with her and he goes, Dave, this is my friend, you know, such and such. And I go, are you out of your goddamn mind? What the hell are you bringing her for? And, you know, I don't want to be rude, but, I mean, it's like, he's got to know. Attell's going to be miserable. Most men would be like, oh, a hot girl's going to sit with us. But, no. I'm like, are you crazy? And and he understood, and she was really angry because she knew Attell from, I don't know, probably back in the Saturday Night Live days and everything. And she was raised, but she understood also his idiosyncrasies, like 
people would know mine, and uh, left, but was very angry and um, Instagram me the next day, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, there's just no excuse. But it was really funny because I just came in blasted. And I'm like, are you out of your goddamn mind? I mean, I didn't want to be rude to her, but, uh, you know, I was like, have you lost your mind? It was like right out of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode because uh, I know the way he's going to react. So then, you know, we all sat down to dinner. It was a horrible dinner. This place, Mineta Tavern, they make it really fancy. It's expensive. It's hard. Food was bad. It's, it's, it's overpriced and bad. It's a scene which I guess that's the way it is, but it, it wasn't very good. Uh, the waitress recommended these horrible opening scallops for me, which weren't scallops at all. It was just, you know, those crummy snobatorian places where they try and make the food uh, classy instead of, you know, voluminous and delicious. So that was a problem. I think I had a steak and it was just okay. And um, it just, you know, whatever. But I was, we uh, drank, we're drinking wine, so I was still drinking and everything. And I was polluted, but having a great time, I think. I don't remember any of it. I remember I was having a good time. I remember it went really quick because Dave was ordering, he was ordering, he was ordering. And then it was just over. It just went so quick. He had to get back and do a spot. And then we went back. And then we saw him do a show. And I think I went, down, I went downstairs, but I was polluted at this time. I think I started going back to drinking beer. And then I caught up with Sherrod Small, and he was with a bunch of friends, and he introduced me to some girl. That's right. And then we were kept on drinking, and then we went over to another place, uh, the Fat Black, and you know kept drinking and hanging out. And me and this girl started to fool around. I already played the music, right? Um, and you know, again, unbelievable. And, and then she was drunk. I think she wanted to come home, but, um, she was pretty drunk and I was drunk and I put her in a cab and then I went back in and talked to the manager. It was a girl, a lesbian girl. I said, you, you think I'm gay? Cause I put her in a cab. She goes, no, no, no. She was drunk. You don't want to mess with that. And I'm like, yeah, right, right, right. Cause years ago, maybe I would have, but in this climate, you probably want to think before you do something like that anyway, also. But, yeah, it was just because I p- pictured coming home and then all this. I don't know. It could have been happy. Yes, of course. But it's, I don't know. Anyway, it was still a good time. And then I just hung out with the manager and her girlfriend or fiance, whatever she is, um, until about six in the morning. Like just drinking and talking. I was wide awake for some God knows reason. I think I was in a really good mood. I mean, what a productive day and then super fun. But I was there from 11 in the morning till six in the morning. And I, when I get all my podcast equipment together, I put it in a suitcase. So when I woke up, I couldn't believe my suitcase was in my house because I couldn't believe I remembered. I must have dragged it with me from the cellar to the fat black, you know, with that girl. And I don't know what she was. She's like, why do you have that suitcase? I'm like, don't worry about it. I, I, I really don't even remember, but I must have been smart enough to bring it with me. I can't believe I remembered it. And I do remember getting into an Uber and saying, don't let me forget this. And then the guy had to wake me up when I got to my house. He's like, sir, you're home. And I'm like, yeah, I, I knew. Anyway, but, uh, but it was still a great night. Yeah, I mean, boy, what, I was there for almost 24 hours. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. But I was so happy with the interviews and everything. And, uh, you know, I was in a good mood. So it was a time to celebrate. And I did. And I had a really fun time. And, uh, yeah, it cost me uh, money to, because uh, I bought food and drinks for the other guy but when i was drinking at the other place really didn't cost that much so still a win-win situation but that was a fun day 
And uh, well, I would like to do that again. Uh, <laughs> that was really fun. But after that day, I was like, hung- the next day I was a mess, obviously. And I, I don't think I've gone out to drink since. Yeah, I drank before, but I never drank since. In fact, ever since, quite frankly, ever since the uh, Super Bowl, I have been out of sorts. I've been very depressed. I haven't left the house at all. Today was, uh, well, Saturday was the first day I left the house. I didn't leave the house after the Super Bowl. I wasn't totally depressed after the Super Bowl. I, you know, I lost, yes, I bet the Chiefs, but I also had the over because I had, I wanted to bet just the Chiefs and then there was all this stuff and I bet because I was putting all these things together and I ran out of money and whatever. Ended up winning stuff in Jersey, but I didn't with the guys I owe money to. But I, I wasn't upset, but... I guess I must have been because I just went into kind of a deep depression for the week. Only mostly because I didn't have any plans. I think if I had plans, everything would have been fine. I didn't leave the house until Saturday. I didn't have anything to do, nowhere to go. I, I grew a beard. I'm, I'm wearing a beard now because I, there was no reason to shave. There was no reason to shower. It was, it was horrible. I, I was just sleeping and sleeping and watching TV and sleeping and eating. It was bad, but it was like I just didn't have any plans. And I feel like... Since May, since I lost my job, I mean, I've been pretty good about not being like this. And for some reason, that Monday after the Super Bowl, it just all collapsed. You know, at least I made it like six months without there being an issue, uh, you know, in, in, in sitting around and not doing anything and, you know, kind of panicking. But, you know, I think it had to do with the fact that I had no Comedy Cellar show coming up. Um. And just no plans until this week when I have, you know, I got a show. This comes out tonight. I've got a show tonight at the Westside Comedy Club. I got a show on Thursday at the Westside Comedy Club. So thank God for the Westside Comedy Club. But I don't have any other shows. Meanwhile, thank God, Liz gave me another show about Wednesday. Started to come out of it a little bit. Maybe Thursday she gave me a show March 9th at the Comedy Cellar. The uh, Dave Juskow Final Four. Uh, So no Juskies this year. But the Final Four, we'll, we'll just get right into that. And thank God. Thank God. I got a show in March because if I had two months without having a show, I just can't handle it. And not, yes, financial repercussions are are devastating. But just even to like tell people, people say, where are you performing? I'm like, eh. I don't want to invite people sometimes to the West Side because I'm not happy with the lineup because it's combined with Judy Gold's kid. And he's great and everything. But, you know, it's not the, the true lineup that I like to put up myself where I can be really proud of, you know, because we always got to add in the people that he has favors to and stuff. And I, I don't put in shows like that i don't do any favors at the cellar at other clubs i'll do a favor but at the cellar you know that's a pretty big deal so and try and keep it real even though this march i'll be putting on people that don't work at the cellar but it is kind of fun the final four championship i think i have um two out of the four people i need so well actually i only have one that i asked so far a girl I probably use three girls and a boy i don't know many that that many boys that I like, that I'd want to have in the show. But girls are very easy to find. Um, and people like women these days anyway, so it's a smart move. It can't all be women. That's not fair either. So uh, there will be male representation. I'm sorry, everybody. It's not all about the women. I mean, apparently it is. But there's got to be, come on. Jesus Christ. The Oscars yesterday. The women and women and they're, oh, there's no women. I'm like again, you know, what do you want? What do you want us? Why are you telling us? Why are you telling the people at home? They had nothing to do with that. Did it blame your own self? Blame yourself. Say, say, and it's because of you people in this room 
that there are no women nominated. That's what you need to say. You're yelling at us. This is why nobody likes when you preach shit at the Oscars. Nobody wants anybody in tuxedos to tell you how to run your life. Nobody wants Joaquin Phoenix to come up and say, I can't believe you people drink cow's milk. What the fuck is the matter with you? You know, people just don't care for that. Ever. Get it through your selfish head. Right? It's so frustrating. Um, What was I talking about? Now, now, look what you've all done. You got me off base. I was talking about uh, uh, my shows, right? March 9th and all that stuff. And uh, right. So, yeah. So on Saturday, I find I had something planned. I did a benefit for Jim Gaffigan, his kids and his wife. And I did a benefit with Marina Franklin and uh, a couple other people, Wally Collins stuff, but it was for Jim Gaffigan's wife and his kids called the Imagine Society. And it did a benefit for them. We help with these kids do stuff, but, and it was fun, but here, here's what's really interesting or funny, maybe not interesting. It's well, it's kind of fascinating. So I go there and I'm in a pretty good mood. You know, I'm just so happy to be out of the house, but yet they told me to be there at 12. I get there at 12. None of the other comics show up until one. I'm like, Jesus Christ, every goddamn time. I'm the only one who comes on time. And there was no reason for me to be there. Big deal. They also said there'd be coffee. There was no coffee. I mean, uh, this kind of stuff, I got to let it go. It's charity, right? It's charity. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I have to Larry David it up a little bit, but basically I'm even keeled. And they're like, here's what you're going to be doing. So there's, so Jeannie Gaffigan and this other woman who is just high strung, horrible. I look, when I'm looking at them talking to us with these boards and what we have to do, I'm saying, I wonder if they were ever teenagers or 20-year-old hot girls. Because it seems to me they just came out of the womb as mothers. That's how the way they were talking to us. I'm like, I, 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 that's, it's so messed up. I'm just staring at, not Jeannie so much, but this other woman. I'm staring at her. I'm like, was she ever not a mother? Was she ever not somebody's mother? Look at this woman. She's insane. She just keeps talking about all this stuff. Anyway, we break into groups, and we have these vision boards, and the kids have to come up with a, a documentary film that they're working on, and they give us topics. And our topic was cyberbullying. And I am the comedian mentor. There's a teen with an N leader. I'm the comedian mentor. Marina was a comedian mentor to the other kids. So my kids are about 15, 16. And they don't want to be there on a Saturday, but they're still pretty cool. And the they're clearly the popular kids in school. These two guys and these two girls are clearly the most popular kids in school. They start making fun of me. It's my fault. I put it on. The, the, their teen leader was... The kids, the mother that was being in trouble, it was her kid, and he's autistic. So they're making fun of him because he's a little weird. He's a little off. And he's like, what's your favorite TV show? And I scream out Sabrina the Teenage Witch like a moron. Those kids pounce on it immediately, and then they're just making fun of me. And there's nothing I could do about it. I don't know why I said it because I've been watching it nonstop. It's on at 5 in the morning on a ten of TV, and I just can't get it off the stupid Salem. And that's the only reason I really watch it. And then I find myself watching the whole damn thing. I got Obviously, I got a problem. And so I shouldn't have said that because they really ripped me a new asshole. And then they were bullied. There was two Indian kids and a black girl on the right-hand side. They were, bull- they were bullying. Them. They were technically bullying everybody while we were doing a presentation of cyberbullying. But they were doing it in such a way that nobody seemed to care. But it clearly was bullying. And then the two girls were like, yeah, we, we cyberbully this girl all the time because she's uncool. <laughs> it was unbelievable. There's nothing I can say. I'm like, oh, good for you, whatever. So anyway, we put together this board and this presentation 
in 30 minutes. Meanwhile, that mother keeps coming over because her son is autistic, and she keeps coming over and tells us what. I'm like, hey, hey, I'll handle it. She goes, no, I'm going over to the other table. I don't see you at any of the other tables. Can you leave us alone? Because they wouldn't leave us alone. So then it became no fun. It was really messed up. They just needed to trust us. I know, trust me, right? But we were doing fine, and we had this idea we were going to make this stop-motion film, and we put it all together, and it wasn't that great. And when Wally Collins brought his kids up, and they were like, you know, eight- and nine-year-olds, and they were doing Border Patrol Immigration, he had a little play. He had a little skit after, and I go, oh, shit, we should totally do that. We messed up. We need to do something. So I gave the two leader kids, not the teen leader, but the two other kids I knew were clearly the ones you know, a girl and a boy I gave them sheets of paper. I said, write down bullying terms really quick and we'll cite them first. And then uh, we'll say our topic is cyberbullying. Like, we'll open with this. And they start writing down stuff. Now, the boys keep they're writing down really funny stuff like um, fancy boy and stuff that's real. I'm like, whatever, let them do whatever they want. You know, I don't care. And the girl is like an idiot. And she's just writing like, you're ugly. But the boys are coming up with really, you know, they're just giggling to themselves. But. I'm like, it, who cares? It's still going to work. At least we're doing something different. Um, and then Marina got mad at me because I was talking. I was trying to get the group together. She's like, Jessica, you have to listen to everybody. And I'm like, what an asshole. But um, finally, when we went up there, we bring the whole team up there. And they start saying the terms. And you can see Jeannie Gaffigan's face just go, I don't like this. And then the girl says, you're ugly. And the boy's like, you're a fancy boy. I don't even remember the half. It's probably on video. It's definitely on video somewhere, so I, I got to get a hold of it somewhere. Um, because then these kids, these are the kind of kids, the popular kids in school, that know how to play the game. They know how to win over. They don't do any work, and when it comes time, they're really smart. They know exactly what to say to get you know A's. So they turned it around, and then they go, these are Shakespearean terms. We decided this would be a good idea to show you that there's been bullying since those times. And then you see Gaffigan's wife just going, oh my God, that's so smart. And I just was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? These are my boys, you know? <laughs> like it's totally, it was easy to take credit, you know, like that we put this together. And then, and then at the end, the other kid who was just, you know, like, yeah, hey, we got it, we got it. He comes and he goes, in. and the most important thing about cyberbullying is to fix it with love. And love is the way that will repair all of these relationships. It was unbelievable. And the crowd goes crazy. And I'm like, the silver team, everybody, they're the best. And then I, then I had to fix myself. I'm like, I mean, nobody's the best. Sorry. But it was unbelievable. I got full credit. <laughs> and these kids just pulled out shit out of their ass and made theirs the absolute best. It was amazing to watch, because I certainly know guys like that in high school, kids like that, the popular kids, that they didn't do any work, they didn't study, you're like, they're, they're going to they're gonna look stupid, they're going to look stupid, he's going to hate, and they just pull out the A. Or they somehow manipulate the teacher into thinking that they're great, and it works every time. And you have to be very, very smart to do that. And that's the one thing I didn't have. Yes, maybe I could fool the teachers in a different kind of way, in maybe a street smarts kind of way, but I didn't have the intelligence that these people had to truly manipulate uh, what they do. And it's not like they're not going to be successful in life. They'll be extremely successful in life. So it really doesn't matter. You can take your books and you can take all that. I'm sure they do well in school, 
But because of their manipulation and their prowess and they're smart enough to say, I know how to handle this, relax, and they're calm, they're going to go so far. It's unbelievable. Really unbelievable. And I'm just jealous as hell that I wasn't smart enough in school to know that. It's like they know none of this matters. They know way in advance, not the stuff where, you know, you, they, they, I don't know, they got it all figured out somehow. And it sounds ridiculous, right? But I've seen it before, and you know they're going to be successful, and they're going to have a great time in college. And thing, Plus, they're already privileged anyway because they go to a pretty snooty school. So, in fact, Marina was telling me that one of her kids is like, I know I'm privileged, um, but, you know, that's the way it is. I just know it, and I deal with it. So, whatever. <laughs> But yeah, that was so that was Saturday. And then Marina and I walked uh, up to 57th Street, which was nice. And she took me to this barbershop, like a black barbershop right across from the Port Authority. One I didn't even know existed. And she was like, oh, I'm going to take you up there. You're going to love it. It's real messed up up there. We were looking for this guy that does her hair. His name is Bush. And um, we went in and it was just like. I don't. As long as I'm with Marina, I don't care. Otherwise, I would feel very out of place. But it really just looked like something right out of coming to America. There's just a guy who just hangs out there, you know, eating and be like, "You don't know Cassius Clay? Come on, you didn't know that." Tacho Lewis, you know, it was just like that. It was really funny. I really wanted. I was hoping that guy was going to come back and we were going to spend time there, but the guy wasn't there. So I'm like, "Well, when you're going to go again? Let me know." Because she knew that would be quite the experience for, for anyone, but especially Dave Juskow. And that did look like a good time. And definitely pick up some material. No, not material I could probably do on stage, but a material I could tell you guys. Um, it was just so funny because anything I would probably say would be considered racist, but uh, it was the thing. It's just, it was so funny. And uh, I don't know. It where it's located, too, you would be like, what? <laughs> it's really messed up. Uh but what an experience. I should wish I had it all on video. But I don't. And we went up, and then I was just like, I guess I'll just go home. It's a good Saturday night. At least I got out of the house, and I'll feel better. you know. And I wasn't in a bad mood when I got home. And then Sunday, it went back to normal again. I, I woke up early, and then I went back to bed. I'm like, I got nothing to do. I got nowhere to go. I got nothing to do. I got the Oscars tonight. I'm not feeling good about making money on the Oscars today. And so what happened was, yeah, I had about... 10 bets, each for either $25 or $50. And unfortunately, there was not one upset last night because that's what I was counting on. That's how I make money. In the past years, there's been multiple upsets. If you think Parasite winning was an upset, it wasn't. We said on the podcast last week, Parasite should win. Now, here's something interesting. My sister was a little upset about it. You know, they're heavy Trump supporters. And they don't like that a foreign film, now they call it international film, won Best Picture. And I know exactly what they're talking about because I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking how upset I would be if I hadn't seen the film. If I hadn't seen the film and I saw that Parasite won, I'd be furious, especially they don't speak any English. They had to have a translator. I'd be furious because I'm like, you know, this, this isn't right. It should be about Americans, but it's not. We vote on British films all the time and stuff. So that's what I was thinking. But there's something about it being Korean and with subtitles that just ain't right. I get it. However, I saw the movie. 
I can't feel that way. This year at the Oscars, after the last three years while we've been talking, they got it right. 1917, I haven't seen it. Might be a good picture. It's a World War I picture. Maybe it's not something we've seen before in the way it's shot, but it's something we've seen before. This movie, Parasite, is nothing like we've seen before. It was completely deserving of Best Picture. It's exactly what Get Out should have won because that was the Best Picture that year. Not this Was it Shape of Water? Ugh. But Jesus Christ, they got it right. Parasite was the Best Picture in the world. And it is a global thing. We take films from every... I mean, you know, just because it's British and American, yeah, we don't, we don't usually nominate or, uh, you know, have people, places win like that, but it was that good. And the beauty about it actually being Korean, even though you, you even get mad because my dad fought the Korean War, and I'm like, well, who the fuck are these people? Of course, they're South Koreans, so technically that's not a thing. Uh, we were only at war with the North Koreans. <laughs> you know, but this is the stuff I think of, like, you know, when, you know, people are like talking about Japan and we're like, hey, Japan's great. Japanese people are great. Meanwhile, my grandfather fought World War Two. So like, you know, like, you know, we were we were taught to hate Japanese people. Now we're all I like. I mean, it's like this is the problem with war. After 20 years, people are just like, hey, hey, about that. Hey, we're sorry. Everything's cool again. Don't worry about it. I mean, that's that's the problem. But then you, you can't get mad at people if they. You know, if, if an old person makes fun of a Japanese person because he, he was sent there to kill them and they killed a bunch of his friends, you, you can't get upset with people if they don't get over it. You know, I mean, I still I'm, I'm definitely always going to have problems with Germans. Always. It's tough to forget. Uh, you, you just got to have some patience with people. And this is what I say about myself all the time. If you're brought up a certain way. You know, you're trying to combat it. If you're a normal person, you try and see both sides. But, you know, just give people some patience. Don't start getting on people's cases. Anyway, with this parasite thing, they totally got it right. If you haven't seen the movie, it's fantastic. And when you do see it, you'll be like, boy, this is something I didn't see coming. It's really terrific. And you can only make it in Korea because it's a different kind of, like, poverty level than we know here in the States. It's it's different. It's worse. It's better. It's It, it, it really is great on every level and it won all the proper categories the 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 screenplay was amazing he won best director he should have it's it's really that good um so i told my sister i'm like i'm gonna give you the movie and then see if you change your mind because she's definitely i think people that didn't see the movie would probably have problems with something like this winning the american oscars but if you really think about it the Oscars, although they take place in America, they've never really been American. So many British people win all the time. Remember how mad I got at that stupid British guy that beat Sylvester Stallone that year? I mean, it happens all the time. We just haven't invited any other countries. Although I think French people have won before that uh, Mariam Cotillard. You know, so the people win all the time. They might not win Best Picture, but uh, now they do. And that's probably the way it should be, I guess. It was the best picture in the world. It's really good. And, uh, you know, that's what we label the podcast. Could, could Parasite win? And it did. And I'm glad because, you know, for the past three years, they've gotten it always wrong. Gotten it all wrong. But that's how popular, that's how anybody that saw this voted on. I mean, even Jane Fonda was the president. Who picked up the director? Spike Lee was like, bone. Now, he's probably pissed. He probably hates Koreans. You know, we've all seen Do the Right Thing. He's bred to hate Koreans. 
So this probably drove him insane to have to announce this name. He does clearly, he, he doesn't like anybody that wins that's not him. So you add in the fact that it's Korean or a Jew, this bothers Spike Lee, and that's a fact. When the Cohn brothers won, beat out his uh, do the right thing. I think that year it was a Barton Fink. I don't know what won, something won. He was furious. Um, but, you know, nobody gets mad at him because he's black and, oh, he's got uh, this and that. And, and, you know, it's all, everybody's two-faced. Everybody is two-faced, including myself. At least I admit it. But, yeah, there were no upsets. The only thing I had, I got uh, the Ford versus Ferrari as, like, sound editing. And that, you know, paid 25, I won 33 out of 25. Otherwise, you know, I took a shot at Scarlett Joy. I was hoping maybe Harriet would beat Elton John because it went from plus 700. I got it at plus 700 for $50. That would have paid 350 bucks. Um, and it went down to plus 400 at the end of the day, which means there was a bunch of heat getting up. And you thought maybe, well, there's no black people. Let's vote for this, you know, but didn't happen. I bet Scarlett Johansson in both categories, just in case there was an upset, there were no upsets. Last year, Olivia Coleman winning. That was a huge upset. Glenn Close was supposed to have it. So I was hoping for all these upsets. Um, best animated film, no upset. Best uh, documentary, no upset. Short, all, all the favorites won. I won some money on the neighbor's window. Um, you know, like 50 bucks. It was even money. So there were no upsets. So didn't work out this year uh all if you had you know your piece of paper if you listen to us and i told you what the favorites were if you just bet all the favorites they all came in this year so if you had an oscar pool i hope i didn't uh, ruin anything for you and um i don't know hope everybody's doing okay how are you they rushed the in memoriam section to put in kurt kirk douglas Kirk Douglas, I never cared for Kirk Douglas. I didn't think he was that great. I don't know any movies he's in besides Spartacus. I've never seen, besides, uh, what's the other one he did with Dana Carvey and Burt Lancaster? Uh, Tough Guys. I saw that in the 80s, but I didn't know who he was. I mean, I'd heard of him, and I knew Michael Douglas was his son, but, you know, I didn't think he was that great, and I didn't care. I mean, you know, I'm sorry he's dead, but, uh, yeah, I just, yeah. I wasn't, like, you know, it's not worthy of a tribute, and then it turns out, there's two things that I was reminded of over the week that uh, I had to. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. They they aired an old 1980 SNL uh, thing. You know, they keep when somebody dies, they air with an SNL host like they did with Buck Henry. So they aired this old Kirk Douglas one, and it's awful. He's awful. Opening monologue is awful. It's awful. It's one of the worst. Saturday Night Lives, I, I can remember. But as a young lad watching it, um, when they got to a couple of scenes, I, I, I just completely remembered them. Now, I'd probably only seen it once when it aired in 1980. And I probably didn't even know who Kirk Douglas was, never saw Spartacus. But I remember vividly two of the sketches one was what if spartacus had a piper cub i don't know why i remember it it was stupid the bit doesn't work very well when i was watching it 
But I remember, I guess kids were talking about it the next day. But there was one sketch that I completely remember, so much so, that I used one of the lines that Lorraine Newman says on a goddamn daily basis. I didn't even know where it was from. And it's the Kirk Douglas episode of SNL. I, I, I just took the whole sketch off the TV because it's impossible to find. Thank you, Rabbi Templitz. And now that the traditional candle lighting is over, I'm sure that the Bar Mitzvah boy, Greg Lieberman, feels the importance of today for Harech Halem Hasher he shall also enjoy. We are all very happy here at Beth Shalom, especially for the father and mother of the Bar Mitzvah boy, who should shep nachas and feel proud of their Harry and Selma Lieberman. We all salute you. May you have the good fortune to be healthy and happy so that you may dance at his wedding and at his son's bar mitzvah and his son's bar mitzvah and his son's bar mitzvah and so on and so forth. And now here to make the harecha men or special toast and blessing, will you please welcome the bar mitzvah boy's father, Harry Lieberman. Harry Lieberman. My oldest boy, the heir to the Lieberman fortune, your mother, your sister, your brother Jeffrey, and your tante, Vildechaya, we're all brimming with pride on this meaningful occasion. The only wish, the only wish your mother and I have for you is be happy, healthy, and don't forget, carry on the traditions of our people. For today, my son is a man. So I think the, the thing is, is that this uh, meant so much to me. In, I'm probably two years bar mitzvahed. They just didn't do stuff like this on television that had anything to do with Judaism at all. And seeing a guy like Kirk Douglas, I didn't know he was Jewish in the day, you know, doing all this, and they're all wearing yarmulkes. I mean, it definitely spoke to me, but it clearly spoke to everybody in high school. We were talking about it nonstop. But then it gets so much better. Again, I mean, if you, I don't know if you know what's coming, if you remember this, but goddamn, I couldn't even believe it when I saw it, and then I remembered it. And will you please welcome on this festive occasion and Rechalem Hasher, welcome as one of our own, Mr. Nick Collins. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, President Zager, if you guys ever lose Moshi Diane, Zager here could step in in a minute. He's a great celebrate a bar mitzvah the elevation of a boy to manhood right and more importantly we're here to find out just what kind of party Harry Leroy can throw huh I say that I've been drinking on this old man even while you were all in there waving your arms and so forth and, uh, 
This is good stuff. This is not well whiskey. This is cutty. Mm. Ray, come here. Come here. You're a man now. Go get me another one of these, will you? That's my boy. That's my man. I got a little something worked up just for you two, Harry and Selma. Paul, could you? Oh, L-I-E-V-E-R. Spells Lieberman. Proud of all the Yiddish blood that's in you. Not even the Arabs would say a word again, you. L-I-E-V-E-R-M-A. And you see, is a name that insane never has been connected with. Lieberman, that's you too. That's my man. That's my man. Harry, one question. How much? This isn't just chicken, you know. This is vegetable. There's a couple different kinds of meat, straight beef, string beans, almondine. You went all out, man. I know it cost you a lot of money. I got to see some pop. Ecclesiasticus, please. You know, you say, oh, it doesn't mean anything. You're a liar, Harry. Because you people were told in a good book that you gotta do this and you do it, and I think it's great. Something about those words. Something about those words. Hey, happy bar mitzvah. Just to be with Lieberman. You know, it's it's a lovely affair, and uh, it's a shame that we only get together at bar mitzvahs and funerals, huh? That's the line I say all the time. I mean, I've used that line so much. Just probably at a bar mitzvah or at a wedding or something. I say, it's a shame we only get together for bar mitzvahs. And for... I didn't know where it was from. I knew it was from Saturday Night Live at some point, I think. And then I couldn't even believe it when she said it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the thing I've been talking about for, what is it, 80, 90, 2000, 2000, 40 years. You know, I'll tell you something. They said to me, Nick, can you fill in at the last minute? It's a bar mitzvah. I said, oh, my God, a bunch of religious stiffs. Uh-huh. You're not. You people are just as nuts as any of my buddies. And I got something. I've been keeping it in. I got to do it. Paul. And that's Paul Schaefer at the piano. There's no religion like the Judeo-Hebrew tradition. Like no condition, I know. Everything about it is so ancient. Rapping about prophets, we all know. Abraham and Isaac and there's Joseph, Barbara Streisand and Groucho too. There's no people like the chosen people. They smile when they are low. Even when you wandered in the desert long, you ate your matzos and sang a song. The Pharaoh thought he'd stop you, but you proved him wrong. Great! You could be... A goldsmith, lawyer, jeweler, shrink, accountant, shrink, whatever it is, it's just Lieberman Inc. Forget about the Schwarzers and your mother's pink. You're a man great, ain't no stopping you now. So spread your big man's wings and fly. Ride your ticket with your mock cross pins. Oh, my God.
God. What an unbelievable sketch. Bill Murray is obviously uh, an absolute master, uh, as we know. And that was, you know, I mean, I, oh, my God. I mean, I, that character I used to do all the time, probably in variety shows. That, But, you know, you, you hear it when you're watching. He's doing a little bit of Carl Spackler from Caddyshack. Uh, but I guess he, what he's doing actually is that he's a little drunk, which just, as you know, makes him such an incredible actor. He's able to do, he's playing the drunk guy. He comes up with the drink. He's already drunk. I mean, that's the, that's the entire character of, and he changes his name all the time. There is Nick Collins, and I don't know what that meant, but, you know, if he's playing a spring resort, like a, like a beach resort, he's Nick, Nick Springs, and if he's playing the ski lodge, he's Nick Winters. I don't know if you catch that, you know, through the years. It took me a long time to figure that out. But that's so funny, and that's why when David Tell and I first started in like 87 or 88, we, he was Bobby St. Petersburg, and I was Nick Springs, which shows you... Uh, how I had no, uh, you know, I just stole stuff. I had no creativity. I was just named myself after one of Bill Murray's characters. And David Tell was Bobby St. Petersburg. I mean, that's so goddamn funny. And he came up with that on his own. But uh, we would go off as those characters sometimes and just have, our, have them introduce us. Um, and it was, it was awesome. And it's all just from this little gem of a sketch in a really bad episode of Saturday Night Live in the, you know, 1980, the final season where Belushi and Accurate had already left. But if that sketch isn't just great, you can hear the audience going crazy. But, oh, my God, the next day in school, I guess we were completely talking about it. L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N spells Lieberman. Uh, I think I got a text in the middle of taping it, and I did, uh, it was a loud sound, so I, you didn't hear the rest in the middle of a little pause. But, yeah, I mean... Oh, my God, that made me so happy. Uh, and that was Saturday night, too. And then I was just thinking, it's, after I saw that, I'm like, you know, if I remember correctly, Joe Flaherty on SCTV used to do a Kirk Douglas imitation. It was a horrible imitation. But it was just so funny because <laughs> Joe Flaherty was funny. And then I remember this one episode, and it was called The Brooke Shield Show. And it's Catherine O'Hara dressed as Brooke Shields, being Brooke Shields, but the show is basically run by her mother, which is Rick Moranis in drag. And their guests are Tip O'Neill and Kirk Douglas. And the reason I remember it so well, again, this must have been in high school, as I remember the line, I think I use it all the time. And nobody, it's one of those things where people must think I have autism or Tourette's because, well, they're like, oh, you know, Tip O'Neill, and I'm like, oh, do you mind if I call him Tip Tonell? I say that all the time because I remember that's what she says in this in this thing. The only reason I knew who Tip O'Neill was was because of this SCTV sketch. And it's John Candy as Tip O'Neill, and here is an actor for you because he doesn't play it funny. He's playing it straight because he knows, you know, this is what makes John Candy so great. He was giving. He wasn't always on. I don't think Jim Carrey could have played something like this. You know what I mean? He's playing it straight, and he's still funny anyway, playing it straight. And that's, and you know how many characters Eugene Levy had to do like that? And that's what makes them so great to this, well, not John Candy to this day, but that's what made all these people so great. They were all giving. If they needed to play straight, they played straight. They let, it, they let the people whose things it was do their thing. Because they knew, you know, sometimes you're going to be the straight person and sometimes you're going to be the focus. 
And it's amazing for somebody like John Candy, who was, you know, just completely this jolly, unbelievable, he's funny as soon as you see him, able to play straight, like he did in even in um, JFK, where he's just like hippie guy like okay daddy oh but he's like actually being straight but he's man he's so cool and that's why people just loved him and that's why joe montana threw that great ending super bowl winning pass he got the whole front line got excited because joe montana just saw john candy in the stands and he's and he's just a bit part in this piece but i'm going to play it for you now because the kirk Douglas invitation is awful but Catherine o'hara is so amazing she's beautiful too Absolutely stunning. There once was a young girl named Brooke who had a face from a fairy tale book. How could a girl of her years cause such wolf calls and leers? Because it was her mother for Brooke they mistook. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brooke's mom, Terry. Join Brooke and me every weekday at four on the Brooke Shields show. There's controversy with people like Speaker of the House Representative Tip O'Neill. I mean, I'll step down if that's what... You know, that's my favorite thing. Where they're like, there's controversy with... <laughs> the Brooks Shields thing. <laughs> it's trying to do a serious discussion. That has always been my favorite bit. I've been trying to emulate that for years. In fact, we do it in Turbocharge, where, uh, you know, we're trying to have a serious conversation with the senator and the puppet. Is <laughs> I mean, I totally just got it from SCTV. What's funnier than them trying to have a serious... <laughs> <laughs> they would do that on the Murray Griffin show all the time. Or they do it on, oh my God, they did it on, they always had a senator or somebody on. The uh, majority of the party wants. I don't think they do. What the Democrats have always needed was uh, good leadership, old fashioned leadership, and politics, and uh, I can provide that. Brooke, don't do that. Ask Mr. O'Neill another question, dear. Tip. That's a really stupid name. Do you mind if I call you Tiptoe Nail? Tiptoe Nail? No, you can call me whatever you want. What the hell does that have to do with what I've been saying? I don't know. There's our special one-on-one segment with stimulating guests like Kirk Douglas. Brooke, sit down. Sit up straight. So, um, you're an actor, right? I guess I never heard of you. Oh, don't be silly. I told her all about you, Kirk. Well, uh, Brooke, I uh, made quite a few motion pictures. <laughs> Perhaps you've seen some of them. Of course she has. Spartacus, Paths of Glory, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Take those out, young lady. I'll tell you, Kirk, kids are nothing but trouble. That is, until you get the first residual check. <laughs> well, at least you had a girl. I had nothing but boys. Is Michael Douglas your son? Yes, he is. Woo, I did. Watch what you say, young lady. I'll say whatever I like. It's my show. And you're my daughter. Yeah, well, I'm not your daughter. I'm your ticket to ride. You watch your tongue. Kirk, what on earth would you do with a child like this? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd take her and put her across my knee. Then I'd give her a good, long, hard spanking right across the derriere. <laughs> and, of course, a song or two by Brooke herself. Correct, <laughs> That's so great. Break your back. That's the Brooke Shield Show here on SCTV. Turn her on. She'll do more than that for you. Oh, God. Isn't that terrific? My God. Genius. Absolute genius. And uh, 
that's all I remember about Kirk Douglas. I didn't, I don't know. I mean, Jesus, he lived to, what, 103? It's unbelievable. But uh, <sighs> I totally, I just remember that. First time I've seen it since 1981. First time I've seen it. And I remember everything about it, just like that bar mitzvah sketch. It's unbelievable, you know, what you retain. And that's the worst part. You know, I and a, and a lot of you guys that like this show for this reason, that we play these clips and remember these things, it's like, you know, we're able to retain this. We're obviously idiots because we we're not retaining the, the important stuff we need to, you know, of, yes, they're important to us. But that's the worst part. I think how smart, you know, I would be if I could retain other information Instead of, you know, can I call you tip toenail? What if I could retain what somebody told me about a stock tip or, or some sort of math? Boy, that would, I don't know what happened. I don't know why it's like this, but this is the way it is. And uh, it's unfortunate until podcasts happen. I was able to share the information that a lot of you people understand with you. Thank goodness there's a couple of us that just retain this information. It's quite unbelievable, you know, that. And, of course, every guy, even the smartest guys, sure, it's easy to retain the Caddyshack, the back-to-school, the Fletch, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, to retain this, these minor detail ones, I mean, that's really somebody who's a complete jackass. <laughs> There's nothing else to say. It's like, uh, for instance, and I guarantee you nobody was thinking this, when they introduced um, Regina King uh, on the Oscars last night, I thought, for real... I thought for real, because I can't get a copy of the thing, I can't play it, but this is what the song I thought they were playing. Ladies and gentlemen, Regina King. I thought for sure they were playing the end credits to 227. I really thought they were playing that. I'm telling you, once I get the clip, if, if I can get the clip of them introducing Regina King, who introduces the Best Supporting Actor Oscar the Brad Pitt one, once I can get the whole clip, we'll combine the show. You tell me if I'm crazy, but clearly I'm crazy. But it certainly sounded like the theme to 227 to me. Now, maybe I'm crazy, but maybe that's what I wanted to happen. And I willed it in my head to think that that's what they were playing. Now, that's comedy. And before we go, I want to tell you what happened to me last Friday. So last Friday, I went out and I said, I'm going to go out with this girl that I like. We've fooled around before. And I, and I said, I'm going to make some time for her because we kept saying we're going to meet. She's pretty. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I can, maybe I can make something with this girl. You know, maybe, maybe this can work out. And she's like, what can I see? I really want to see you. I want to hang out. I want to hang out. And I said, well, I'll meet you at this bar, you know, my bar down in the village. And um, she came in, and as soon as she sat down, she goes, oh, you know, my boyfriend has that same watch, or whatever she said. You know, like the Seinfeld episode. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what? And from then on, I was very upset, you know, because I'm like, what, what am I doing? What am I going to spend money on this? I mean, seriously, right? I mean, is that, I, I know that's horrible. It's very George Costanza, but no, come on. That's not fair. She immediately said, like, oh, I don't have any money. So I'm like, ah, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And so I just really wanted her to go, even though she looked really good. But I wanted to, I, you know, I was just done, and then I don't know what's happening. She's like saying, well, you know, I'm not married to him, whatever. I, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. I don't know what's happening. She obviously saw that I was a little upset. 
And I'm drinking. That's where I discovered the vodka sodas with the bitters. And I drank a lot of them because they were going down real easy with those bitters. And I don't know how many I had, but I was pretty drunk. And she was drunk because she was drinking. I don't know what she was drinking, like scotch or Jameson or something. Like just drinking a lot of them, too. And at one point, we were talking, and she kind of flipped over my chair. I mean, we're sitting on stools, but she put put it, like, flipped it where I fell over. And I fell onto the owner. I didn't fall, but I was teetering, and I couldn't get up, and I felt like an old man who couldn't get up, and I was really embarrassed, and I was so upset because she did that. And I said, you know what? You got to finish this drink, and then you got to leave. And then I told the bouncer, I said, she can finish her drink, but then you got to kick her out. I was so upset. This was not cool. She tipped me over. I, I don't know. I mean, I really was angry, and I wanted her to go, and I said, well, this is my way to get her out. She, she really, and then she started to cry, but I'm like, I'm sorry. You, you broke the rules. You, 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 put, you tipped me over in front of the owner. I, I want you out. I think the bar wants you. you know, this, this, you're clearly really drunk, and you need to go. And I, I felt a tiny bit bad, but not really. I really couldn't wait for her to go. And she left. And I really told the bouncer right in front of her. I'm like, tell her, you know, take her out if she doesn't. I mean, I know she was going to leave, but I was so embarrassed. It was so humiliating. I know everybody was really kind about it. I didn't fall. It was like, it wasn't even funny. It was, I mean, I make fun of people that fall all the time. You know, I laugh at them all the time. So I get, you know, if you're going to laugh at me and stuff, but I don't know. I just felt... Uh, like an idiot. I couldn't get my balance and people were coming over to pull me up. Nobody wants that. So then I feel like a drunk. Like I fell over my chair, but she pushed me. And I don't want to be that guy. So I was really, really upset about this. And then, um, you know, I called uh, another friend and she came over and she was drunk and then, um, you know, spilled a wine glass. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I got to get out of here. This, every girl is annoying me today. I got to leave. And I went home and I was like really upset about it. Like really upset. It was just such a, you know, I was having a pretty good time. And then I don't know. I got to find other people to, to party with, I guess. People that know how to hold their liquor. You know, but that, 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 that's very difficult to find. Yeah, it's difficult to find. But that's and that's probably why I haven't been leaving the house lately. I'm like, well, I don't want to go drink anymore. I mean, at least I don't know, you know, for a while. I I really don't want to drink. I I don't want to be wasted. It's bad to be wasted, and then you know, because I keep thinking I'm going to get stuff done, but I don't get stuff done. So it's better to just not leave the house because I really don't have any activities. You know, my activities when I leave the house is to go drink. That's why I probably go to the cellar more. But I'm just, what am I going to do there? Oh, so here's, so listen to this. So, you know, my hair did not take effect. And the doctor said, we'll do it again for free. So it's February. He said in February. So I called him just before I put on the podcast, I called the place and they're like, we have February 27th available. And I'm like, listen, I don't know if I want to go through this again. I don't know if I can handle it again. It was really painful. It's really tough. I'm going to have another scar on the back of my head. I know it'll be covered up with hair, but it was a very painful procedure, and I just don't know. 
And I just can't decide. I'm like, if the doctor's willing to give me half my money back, I think I would go for that. But I called my sister and she goes, what are you, crazy? Just get it done. But just thinking about it again. So then they gave me this date and that should be good enough by March 9th. They should be okay and be able to be on stage again and everything and not look horrible. But it's the day after like I'm doing something the night before where, you know, you can't drink or anything. And I wake up early and it's all this stuff and that's going to be a bummer. But there's like no day that's good. I really can't make up my mind and I really don't want to go through it anymore but i'm really pissed every time i look at my hair which it's probably fine now for the rest of my life but it's gonna irk me every time i look at it if he doesn't give me my money back because it ain't fifteen thousand dollars worth and at this point getting half my money back would be kind of good since i don't have anything coming in and i'm still paying for it so i don't know what to do i'm really confused i gotta think about it I mean, I don't want to go through it again. It's, te- I mean, it's, I don't know. Ugh. Remember how horrible it was in those staples? There's no sleep. I mean, technically, I've slept enough for a month, so I'll probably be okay. And this is pretty good because I don't have to sleep and there's nothing to do. But I, I don't know. I don't know. This is crazy, right? I can't believe I got to do it again. I'm mad at that guy. I think we should sue the hell out of him. But then this girl told me, like, eh, some people have to come in two or three times. And I'm like, ugh, it just sounds so horrible. I really can't make up my mind what do you guys think i should do write me at uh i think it's dave just fans at gmail.com it's on my website i had a lovely letter from uh, somebody i'm going to get back to uh, a couple days ago and thank you for your kind words and uh the call-in show right that was fun i think that worked out really well that was a good time i would like to do that again maybe we'll do it on a different day of the week you know maybe like a saturday afternoon or something I don't know. I guess we'll try different times and different things. We'll have different guests and probably be the same people to call. That's what I noticed even on the big shows like Anthony Cumia's. There seems to be the same people to call all the time, but that's all right. What do I care? It was nice to interact with everybody, you know? And it was a good time. Uh, just one last thing. Somebody told me the new James Bond movie is three hours long. That's not cool. I love James Bond. I'm looking forward to it. Three hours? All James Bond movies have always been over two hours, but three hours, that's not good for a James Bond movie. A James Bond movie should only be less than two. Every movie should be less than two hours. But unless they've got some sort of crazy thing planned like we've never seen before, I I guess they're giving Daniel Craig the send-off to all send-offs. Three hours? That's that's a lot. I mean, maybe if it's great, then three hours won't be enough. But that that's 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 a ooh, ooh. that's a long that's a that's a long damn movie. I mean, I, I I've seen you know all the Bond movies in the theater since The Spy Who Loved Me. I, I, can I sit through a three hour movie? I, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not going to be able to drink anything. I remember Titanic. I think I, I couldn't make it. And I think that's three and a half hours. I don't think I made it. I think I had to go to the bathroom. And it's probably one of those things where, of course, can I make it three hours without going to the bathroom? Of course I can. But if you're thinking about it, <laughs> you can't. I mean, it's probably been three hours since I've gone to the bathroom now, today. But whatever. I don't know. No, a little worried about that. I guess that's our show for today. 
Uh, I think I covered everything I need to cover. March 9th, uh, also Thursday, the Westside Comedy Club. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, next week my guest will be Michael Riedel. He's terrific from the New York Post. Broadway theater critic, a guy I've been trying to get at the podcast for a long time. Very excited about that. Very excited about that. We had a really nice talk. And that will give you your podcast's money, speaking of James Bond, three hours. But this is something you can, you know, take a pause to go to the bathroom and, you know, listen when you want to. I mean, these are kind of things I'm like, should I split it into two parts? And I'm like, eh, why? Just let it play out. If people are interested, they're interested. If they're not interested, they're not going to listen. What are you going to do? I don't know. So that's our show for today. I hope everybody is having a lovely February. Uh, so next week we already have our pre-recorded uh, podcast with Michael Riedel, and I hope you like it a lot. And I would love uh, feedback if you you have it. And then on um, what that's February eighteenth, uh, the day after President's Day, and then on February twenty fifth, you and I will be back to discuss what's happened in these past two weeks. And the question will be, am I going to get that hair done? And what else? And what is Dave Juskow going to do to survive on a daily basis? I'm going to leave you hanging for two weeks on that. Uh, So that's the story. I hope everybody is having a great February month. And you're having a wonderful winter. And soon it'll be spring. And all this will be behind us. And we won't have our seasonal depression. And we can move on. From all this nonsense, it'll be wonderful. I would also like to thank yesterday, uh, last week, Scotty Gordstein for coming in and Memo coming in, of course, and taking their time uh, so much to do a wonderful podcast last week. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Remember, next week, my guest, Michael Riedel. The week after that, on the 25th, March 3rd, my guest will be Richard Klein. We'll see you next time on the Nightfly, everybody. This has been Dave Juskow saying good night and have a pleasant day. <laughs>